Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What if you had to choose between your family or your career? While the answer may seem obvious, the complications behind such a decision can be endless. This is the precise situation that Jane Monroe and her husband Mike found themselves in after having one of their triplet boys diagnosed with ADHD, a situation that came to a tipping point after their son was kicked out of multiple schools and child care facilities. While Jane, above all else, wanted to put her family first, taking a step back within her career was made more difficult as she was on the upward track to an executive management role within her company not to mention the financial challenge of helping to support their family of six. Jane talks emotionally about her nine-month journey to have her son properly diagnosed. Between wait lists and doctors who wanted to brush her aside, Jane had to fight to get the proper care that her son desperately needed and deserved, not only for him, but the entire Monroe family. You must be willing to tell your story repeatedly, Jane emphasized. And while wait lists may deter you, There is a reason why the best facilities have one. There is a growing demand for the support kids like her son need. Jane also describes the emotional conversation with her husband, Mike, about how to manage a career-changing emotional and financial decision such as this. She pointed out that constant and consistent communication was the key in helping them through this life-changing situation. And also, not expecting your spouse to be able to read your mind was also helpful. Please enjoy my conversation with Jane Monroe. So Jane Monroe, fellow triplet parent and neighbor, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet <laughs> Podcast. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. So with, with that intro, uh, audience, um, you know that, that Jane and I share a very special bond, um, but her and her husband, Jane and his... Jane's husband, Mike, uh, did the opposite of what Teresa and I did. They had a singleton first, then went back and had triplets. So I call them the one plus triplets versus us. We had the triplets first and then our plus one. So we're the triplets plus one. So, and we live, I don't know, you know, in the same subdivision, like a stone's throw away, basically. So um, I have been on you about getting on the show because I get a lot of feedback, especially from parents and and moms um, when it comes to really what it's like raising multiples, whether it's twins, triplets, quads, um, and this whole idea, which I, I try to really squash is this balance between work, your career, and home, which I, I know you're laughing. It just just doesn't exist. No, and there's and no balance. That's for sure. <laughs> no, and and I've been using this word called harmonize 
uh, over the last, I'd say, couple years of all the parenting experts I talked to, um, physicians, um, you name it. Um, that's kind of the word that I've come up with because at certain times, your career is going to need or demand more from you. And then there's certain times that your family is going to need and demand more from you. And I think um, your story that that we're going to walk through today um, is front and center because you're dealing with many different fronts um, when it comes to um, your your kids and your career and you know helping with um, your parents as well. So um, I am excited to have this conversation <laughs> with you. So um, let me stop talking and ask you a question. Just let it walk us through your your background, who you are. And I'll let you run from there. It sounds good. Yeah. So again, thanks for having me. Um, I am excited to talk about our journey because it's it's one that's complex. And I feel like there's a lot more people that can benefit from it when you just talk about it because there's a lot of layers there. So a little bit about me. Um, I've been born and raised in Southeast Michigan. So we are automotive family. Um, I have worked in automotive since I was 16. I started at a dealership way back when. Um, and then started working as a tier one automotive sales representative um, out of college. So I started, you know, right at the early part of my career and I've been there ever since. Um, I now work at another tier one. I've hopped around a little bit just based upon what my family needed at the time and location. Um, and uh, so career-wise, I, um, I escalated quickly in my career, I made four promotions before the time I was 30. So right before I went down to part-time working, I was at the the brink of becoming a director in one of the largest automotive tier ones um, in the sales division. So definitely had a high trajectory for my career. I'm not saying that that won't happen in the future, but it's definitely on pause right now while we balance everything else out. So from a home standpoint, I do have an older daughter, Name's Jacqueline, and then I have the triplets who are so she's seven, and then the triplets are five. So I have two boys and a girl in the triplet sets. So we have two and two, which is an awesome balance. I will say that is one balance <laughs> that we do have. Um, so we do a lot of tag teams, as we call it, um, with the four. But um, yeah, so on top of that, we'll just briefly touch on, which we'll get into more detail later, is that one of the boys is special needs. So in addition to having four kids in 22 months, one is um, a little bit extra special than a normal childhood uh, that we were expecting. So, Yeah. And I don't know. So my question is, what was your and Mike's reaction experience when, when you found out you were having triplets? Because <laughs> I know what ours was. It was it was crazy because every time we went back to our OBGYN appointments, they kept finding more and more babies. So we, <laughs> we, we start off with a singleton, which is all I wanted. It's like, great. And then week four, because Teresa was high risk, she was going to have to go back in like every week for ultrasounds. So week four, she calls me because she's here in Michigan and I'm I'm living and working in North Carolina. I know you know this story. Most of the audience does as well. I get the call that, hey, guess what, Paul? We're having twins. I'm like, oh, God. And, but our plan was still for her to move to North Carolina. And then um, I'm like, well, little did we know it, at the time it was a boy and a girl. First ultrasound I got to go to a week eight, we found out the boy egg had physically split on us. Yep. So that's how we got 
uh, a boy, a girl and identical twin boy. So what, what was, what was that process like for you and Mike? Yeah. So for, um, the ultrasound appointment, it was early on uh, because I was high risk as well. It took us years to have our first child. So after, you know, she was a year old, we're like, all right, it's going to take us a while. Let's start trying now. And boom, we got pregnant. Um, and I felt really sick. So we went to the doctor thinking, okay, maybe this, this pregnancy isn't going to last. Little did we know it was lasting and that there was three embryos. Um, so we have try, try triplets. So three different babies from three different eggs. So nothing split. We just were offered a, an Uber and grape juice at the doctor's office because they looked at us like, you're too pale. You can't drive home right now. Um, it was crazy. And Jacqueline was with us at the appointment. She was only 15 months old the day we found out we were having triplets. So it was crazy. Uh, you get to go to the mahogany office at the doctor's office that nobody ever wants to see because that's not a good thing. And they start talking about all these statistics and I'm just, I'm not a statistic believer anymore just because of the, the numbers they tell you. I know. And we've, we've broken every single one of them. Um, so it, it was crazy, but we did. We found out early on, we knew at seven weeks that we were having three healthy babies, hopefully, and we made it. So, and, and that was a thing. I don't, I don't think I've ever asked you this. We were in the NICU for six weeks. How long were you guys in for? We were only there for four weeks. So our wow, first- Wow, that's amazing. It is. They were born two months early. Our first son came home after two weeks, our other son after three weeks, and our daughter was the last at four weeks. So everyone was home for Christmas. Um, we had them at the beginning of November, and uh, we got to spend our first Christmas together at home. Yeah, that's amazing because that's that's the one story I, I tell is that you know when as bad as you think you have it in the NICU- you just turn to your left and to your right and somebody's got it worse. And we knew people that weren't taking babies home. Babies home. Yep. And that's, that's really, really tough. And I know th this is, this, this podcast is called the emotional balance sheet for a reason. And today's going to get really emotional because I can already feel my eyes like welling up yeah. talking uh, about this. Um, so it's, it's very hard, but uh, we were very fortunate that everybody came out and, was healthy because that was my biggest concern, probably like yours and Mike's. I know Teresa and I were just really concerned about, okay, they're, they're healthy now. Will this last? Yep. Um, because you just never knew, you just never know. Nope, definitely not. And with having three together, there's always another statistic of what are you going to catch next? You know? Um, so it was the health of me, the health of the babies. And then once we, you know, delivered, it was a breath of fresh air, like, okay, we're on this side of the, the fence now. So what do we have to do? And we're very strategic. <laughs> that's kind of how we've operated. You just, there's a plan for today. This is the goal for now. And that's how we have to function because life is chaos. If it's not planned as much as we have control of, we try to do so. So that moved the goal line then. All right, they're here. They're healthy. What do we do next? Oh, plus we have a you know 22 month old daughter that we also have to watch. So. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing that I feel bad for you and Mike is because I always like everybody's asked me like what was it like? I'm like, well, having the triplets first, we didn't know any better. So we just <laughs> had to go with the flow and deal with things one day at a time. That's been our mantra since almost 12 years ago when we had ours and, and then the plus one came along. So that was, you, we realized like Teresa and I realized like how much we missed out on when we had McKenzie, because 
you know, there's, there's guilt because you can only hold one or two at a time. And then you feel bad that another one's not getting the attention. And so we really realized how much we missed out kind of on, on the triplets experience versus just having one. But I I always find it curious to, to talk with people that had one and then multiples next, because it's like, well, you used to one. And then all of a sudden, bam, life really changes. Yeah. Going from a family of three to a family of six just kind of rocks the boat a bit. Um, but for us, um, myself personally, I had postpartum anxiety with Jacqueline. So I was, I was a mess. Um, and I feel like that's why God put me where I was with having the singleton first, because I had to be able to manage myself as a parent um, before I could go on to my next step. And, and I also joke, um, you know, Mike's an only child. My husband is an only child. His father's an only child. Um, so for him, he's like, I don't even know how to do siblings. How are we going to do multiples? I was like, well, I guess that's the way it was planned because I wasn't going to get you to have another. So here we go. <laughs> one to four. That's our you know ready-made family. So it's, it's an adventure for sure. <laughs> so one of, one of the, the big topics that you and I have been talking about for some time, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on to share um, your story that everybody, whether I, I don't care if you have multiples or a singleton, um, if you're a working parent, there's this absolute struggle between um, how much you put into your career versus how much you, you need to put into home life. And when I say home life, it's just not our kids. It's our um, relationship with our spouses too. And as you and I well know, um, the divorce rate for parents of multiples is really high. Um, I think we were, we were just talking about this last night. It was like, what, 60% or so. And that's always on my mind, um, especially as my kids have gotten older, because in the early days, as Teresa's mentioned before, it was really physical work, like changing diapers, feeding, all that. And yeah. now as as they've gotten older, it's not as much physical anymore besides taking them to activities. It's more mental, yes. <laughs> especially as my 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 two girls start, you know, yeah, the change of life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And hormones are kicking in. Um, but you, you, and I will let you to- tell a story, but you and Mike had to make this, I would say, very difficult decision for you, as you just mentioned, like you were on a director track and had to pull back because of the situation with, with Nathan. Yeah. So why don't we kind of start there and have you walk us through um, Nathan and his story, and then how you and Mike went through the process of deciding like, okay, one of us probably has to pull back. Who's it going to be? And how, how are we going to handle that? Yeah. So um, ever since Nathan was in my stomach, I knew there was something special about him. Um, he would never stop. Even in utero, when you have triplets, you can't, you know, somebody's moving, um, but you don't really know what's going on because they're all in there. With Nathan, you knew it was Nathan. It was around the clock, never stopped moving. And he hasn't stopped since the day he was born. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't just, you know, excitement and physical and joyful play. Um, when it came to Nathan, uh, the easiest way to explain it is every emotion someone feels, he feels through aggression anger, aggression, everything triggers that response. So by the time um, he was three and a half years old, he was kicked out of three different preschools. 
And we couldn't keep him in childcare for more than six months without somebody saying, no, he's a danger to himself. He's a danger to others. And it's not that he wanted to be that way. Um, he is a happy person as long as he's able to navigate his emotions. And you, now that we know we have to label it for him, um, it just, he, it was the, the impulsivity and the aggression just took it to the next level. So um, it took a long time for doctors to, to believe me that there was something more there. Um, our pediatrician finally, you know, signed up signed us up to go over to Beaumont and get some further evaluations. And so that was and, a fight that you had, had, to, yes. had to go. Yes. Yeah. I had multiple appointments with our pediatrician um, because he was only two and a half and everyone's like, he's a two-year-old. He's a two-year-old. I'm like, well, you know, I have a whole case study at my house <laughs> with three kids at the same age. And I can tell you with a hundred percent confidence, there is something different about him that we need to get help for because it's ruining everything. And it's not his choice. These are things that he has no choice that why he's doing it. So we got to Beaumont. Um, the evaluation process through them is it's it's a laundry list of you know people that you're on the wait list with because there's so many people trying to get help. Um, it was about nine months from start to finish. And we got his diagnosis of ADHD combination presentation. So he's impulsive and he's hyperactive. Um, it doesn't sound like a good combo. <laughs> it's not, uh, but it's a it's a typical combination for ADHD. So with that, um, we began began behavioral therapy, which we didn't see much progress with because it was outside of his normal environment. We needed therapy every single day. How do we operate during the day as a family as well as Nathan um, to really see that progress? So um, that was the time where he was um, admitted to, not admitted, sorry, um, he was enrolled in our public school district in the special education program for early childhood. Unfortunately, it is 12 hours a week and it's only three hours a day and there are no Fridays. So there went my opportunity for work. Um, at least we knew he'd be able to engage with peers we could have got a nanny. We could have had, you know, grandparents help us. Um, and they're always there willing to step up to do it. But I wanted him to be a, a kid. I wanted him to be able to socialize with other children in a safe environment. Of course, I don't want him to harm himself or others or anything like that. But he was missing out on childhood with friends. And so we took that opportunity um, with our school district. Um, and we made it through a semester before we're like, this is actually more dysregulating to him, then it is helpful because he was still, like I said, three hours a day, only four days a week. He didn't know which end was up. Um, so um, that was that, that first big step back in my career. So it was hard for him to make that transition to be able to go from like home play environment to school and then back to yeah. home and school. Yeah. So he'd get on a bus, be on the bus for 30 minutes because our, our district school doesn't have that program. So even if I wanted to send him with all the kids that we live with, he wouldn't be able to go to that school. So he'd be riding the bus for 30 minutes. He'd go to school for a couple hours, get back on the bus and come home. And he, he was used to a full day with a regimented schedule of this is circle time and this is lunch and this is recess. And it wasn't anything like that. So it, it was more harm than good for sure. So what, what place, so where are you at now with, with Nate? Like how is, 
Yeah. So from there, we knew we had to find something else. Um, we had to find a program that accepted children like Nate that wouldn't give up on him because he doesn't trust anyone anymore because so many adults have given up on him. You know, and he, he can pick that up. He is very, very smart. He can pick up all the feelings in a room. He might not be able to label what it is, but he feels it. He takes it in. Um, and especially when people don't like him or are afraid of him, he then internalizes it that there's something wrong with me. So after years of working through this, Nate's now almost six years old. So um, our saving grace was finding a school that is specialized with um, support for children like Nathan that are not successful in other school settings. Um, they have small class sizes. So no more than eight in a room. Um, they have a teacher, they have a therapeutic support. And then the best part that we've found the benefit of is there is a family consultant assigned to each family. So they meet with the teachers every week and then they meet with us every week. So we strategize all together. How are we going to tackle this issue that is happening right now? How do we change? What's the outcome that we're looking for and what can we do differently? And just with that mentality, his whole life changed. So we, we signed up first for a six-week summer program right after that um, special education at the district. Those six weeks of time immediately changed our lives. Um, every day is a struggle. So I'm not saying that everything's, you know, hearts and rainbows now, but it, it, was, it was night and day seeing the difference. And, and he woke up and told me, mom, I'm not broken anymore. I am wow. not broken. Are you no joke. So my heart is not broken, mom. I can be happy. And that was after three weeks at that summer camp. So he, <laughs> every day we worked through the big emotions. Like I said, most of them turned to anger first. Um, but now you, he's also maturing, right? He's almost six years old. The, the behavior stuff starts to catch up. His diagnosis, they do say that usually the mental behavioral level is about two years regressed. So he's acting like a three or four-year-old when he's not regulated by medication able to self-regulate his emotions. Um, but it is a much different life that we live now than it was two years ago, you know, on top of being in COVID. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. It's it's I will say that at least he sees it in himself too. And that's the biggest part for me is he's he's learning how to how to you know just live, how to be happy, how to work through struggles um, without first going to anger. So, so what was the process like for you and Mike to find the school that he's the school or is it a school or a program that he's currently in? Yep. It's a school. Um, we found it through that same pediatrician that got us to Beaumont. Um, he had heard about the school. Um, it's a private nonprofit organization um, and it only goes to kindergarten. So, <laughs> right. We, I wish we would have found it at three years old and had, you know, these really solid years. At least he's been there. He went all last school year. He will go all of kindergarten there and then they will work with us. And that next step, wherever we choose to go for the rest of his education, even though I say one year at a time, because I know how much we've had to move, um, they will work with us. They work with that other school so we can bridge that gap to ensure his success. So. It was years in the making, but uh, finally getting to that school, um, it's a wait list now because there are so many children um, like Nathan that most schools will turn away now. 
So it's, it's hard to get into, um, but it's definitely something that I encourage everyone to seek out or find something with a similar structure. And you have to have the small class sizes for these young minds to work. So I'm curious from a, from a financial standpoint, is that something like the, like you have, you and Mike have to cover, or is that something that you, that's the state helps on or the yeah. district or how, <laughs> so, does, how does that maze work? Cause I'm sure that's what it is, is a maze. It is a maze. And that's why I stayed working part-time. So it is a nonprofit and it has extremely small class sizes. So what does that mean? It puts the burden more on each individual family. It is the cost of a college tuition to send him there for nine months of the year. Wow. Yes. Um, but it is worth every penny. I will pay it over and over um, just because it shows results. I can finally talk to my son. My husband can talk to my son. We can actually work together as a family. Because remember, we still have three other kids too. And um, having that explosive behavior, and, and that's what he's always been labeled, the explosive child. Um, having that in your household every single day, you will do whatever it takes to figure out how to survive and not just survive, but thrive. Thrive, yeah. We, we, we don't want to just live day by day. We want to figure out what can we make the best of this. So, and that's where, you know, finding Walnut, they really did. They brought us together. And this summer alone, we went not big trips, like, you know, big, big stuff, but we finally made it out of the house for the first summer since they've all been born, um, made it with friends. We stayed weekends at, you know, friends' houses where that would never have been feasible before this summer, but it's all because of the work we put in every single day with the school and with our son and the family together that makes that possible. So how, how, how did the other kids, how did the other three interact with him? Do they understand, do they have an understanding of what's going on? I, 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 I would believe maybe Catherine does because she's the oldest. Or Jacqueline's the oldest. Or Jacqueline's but, the oldest. But, yeah. But yeah. So they know that Nathan's working, working through stuff. We're all working towards something, right? Um, they know that Nathan takes medication to help him. Um, they know when his medication stops working. <laughs> They can immediately say, well, can't you give him more? Well, no, that's his dose for the day, guys. Um, so, you know, they, they definitely understand now that there's a lot of things that Nathan doesn't want to do, but his body doesn't allow him not to do it. So that's where we see the progress with our oldest, Jacqueline. Um, they started school two weeks ahead of Nathan, which just finally started yesterday. Um, and she made a big deal when it was their first day of school and Nate was left behind. She saved him a spot at breakfast. Nate, I need you to sit next to me. I'm nervous about going to school. Can you sit by me? And his eyes just lit up like saucers. Like she wants me because it is a struggle, right? You've got a kid who's usually angry. Most kids don't want to play with that kid. They avoid that kid and they right. do the same with their brother. Um, but she asked. And then as soon as she's leaving, he lit up. Jacqueline, you're the best. I love you. Have the best first day of school. Oh my God. Your, she, your heart just had to like right? just melt. <laughs> yeah. And she turned to me and her eyes were watering. And that's oh. when you know we're making progress because the kids see the difference. And, um, and Jacqueline's and, in second grade this year, right? Yeah. She just started second grade. So a second grader can pick up those little things. And then when she came home from school, um, he wasn't there at the time. And I was like, hey, did you see that difference you made this morning? She's like, mom, he was so excited. I said, yeah. And he was okay the rest of the day because you set the tone for the day by one simple thing, asking him to sit next to you. 
She's like, well, I should do that more often. I was like, yes, you should. That would be great. <laughs> so, and she has last night when he got home from his first day of school, Nathan, were you, were you nervous? Like I was, was it exciting? Was there anything new? And, and she knows little questions because if you ask too much, you overwhelm him and he yeah. shuts down. And he was the really, that was who he talked to last night after coming home to school was her. Not so much me because I was his safe zone. He was, you know, quiet around me, knowing that he was back home and he was okay. And uh, and Mike was still working, so he went to her. And building those connections would have never been possible before. So it's uh it's still a struggle, little sis. Uh, she she needs a lot of my attention too, and she often has to take a back seat to what's going on with Nathan. So I will say, you know, right now with that balance, he gets 50% of my attention of the kids and the rest has to be split with the other three. But we work really hard to make sure those moments with the others are big. Um, there were times where every Saturday we'd have a grandparent um, take one of the kids, another grandparent, the other, Mike one. And so we all had one-on-one. Um, so we've done that on Saturday mornings when we were able to, you know, we do dance with the girls, we do flag football with the boys, just trying to make sure that we split as much time as we can. Um, but it's, it's easily 50% of my time has to go to him just as we're working through the biggest parts of the, these struggles. So, so let, let's come back to, to this decision that, that you Mike ultimately had to make about you pulling back. I mean, I, you know me. I, I work with a lot of families, and this this is if it's not electronic devices, it's it, with 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 how to handle that with kids. It's how to how do we handle our careers and try to you know be the best parents that we can. And you know a lot of you know I get the question a lot like, well, can I can I pull back? And for some people, it's it, it's it, it's for their for their mental health for their own personal mental health. For you guys, it's completely different circumstance and story. Like you, you had to do this for for your your child. So, kind of walk us through like what were those conversations like between you and Mike when you're trying to figure this out? Because obviously, there's this huge emotional component to it, but then obviously there's a financial component as well. Right. Yeah. So I will say um, we. <laughs> It's never been an easy conversation. You know, we're, we're both very career driven folks, but above all else, we wanted a family. So I always have to center the conversation around this is what we wanted. I know this is a struggle right now. Um, and we struggle more than anyone <laughs> around us seems to be. Maybe it's just because people don't talk about it. It's very, very possible. I, I um, think that's, I think you make a good point, Jane. I don't, I think it's, it's kind of like money, it's like taboo. Yeah. Or sex, Habit. even it's like, yeah, it, you're not talking about those things, but under the surface, and this is why I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story because um, I'm hoping this is going to raise a lot of awareness. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, we started those conversations surrounded surrounded by you know we wanted a family. This is where we're at right now. What can we do next? And. My husband will be the first one to tell you he doesn't have a lot of patience. <laughs> so when it comes to ADHD, um, it, it requires an excessive amount of patience. And I lose my patience too. So I'm not perfect by any means. And um, But 
it requires a lot of that. So when it came to which one of us is going to stay home, it was automatically going to be me just from this perspective of, you know, these are a lot of doctor's appointments. We were going to multiple appointments every single week. I had to pull back from the career and I was capable to do it. And then I knew that he would have the opportunity to not have to split his focus as much. So nobody needs two parents that are half working, right? right. I mean, to have a dedicated um, career in the household that I knew we'd be able to be supported financially on. And then I could do this. And my company was willing to work with me also, right? That's I, amazing. I started the job in August and I had to immediately go part-time weeks after because that was when Nathan was dismissed from that third school and we didn't have childcare for him. So, you know, I found, I just happened to be right in that company that would work with me before all of these really flexible hours started. They, they were there and they've been with me for two years now working through every struggle that we've had. So it just, it, it felt right. It was the right move. We were financially set enough. You know, it, we didn't have all the extras like we yeah. would be if we were both working full time, but we also needed to be able to afford the educations that we wanted for our children. Um, and needed specifically for Nate. So it just kind of all just fell together over, you know, lots and lots of conversations. (laughs) So I think you made an excellent point there that I want to come back and reemphasize is that you guys realized it it wasn't going to make sense really emotionally for you guys to have both of you have one foot in and one foot out. Right. And we had to go in. Yep. Yeah. I think I, I think that probably gets lost on a lot of people like it in trying to create some kind of, again, I'm not going to use the word balance, but harmony, you know, with between your careers and be in with, with your family needs. Right. Yep. No, it, you, you can do it. You can do it a million different ways. What worked best for us was allowing me to focus more on the family. And I will say today is the first day since my children have been born that I didn't have part-time work, a child at home or anything. This is my first free day. And it's just, of course, I'm out What's of podcast. Like? I'm out the of podcast talking about work-life balance. <laughs> so fitting, it's, fitting, it, Jane. It's very fitting. Um, but that's what it is. Like you, Mike and I are uh, determined people and we needed to be able to have a path forward. So the only way to do that was for me to step back. And thankfully we were able to make it work where I didn't have to go completely um, stay at home, working from home. I will say a stay at home parent isn't a, you know, a lazy parent, but it means we do more work at home than we do at work. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it allowed me to have those days where I can get everything done. And we schedule all the doctor's appointments on those days. We can, and, and even for myself, the stuff that I need to take care of as just a human, <laughs> we can do on those days off now. So it's, uh, it's been a really good balance. So take us back to that day or moment when you and Mike actually made the decision. Like, can you tell us like what, what that was like? <laughs> uh, well, so the, the biggest one, um, uh, it's hard, you know, like having those conversations because you both feel for each other. You have that emotional pull to each other that you want to be able to support each other. You want to be able to do everything, but, um, having to pull back, you know, those conversations really were about, all right, this is what I'm going to do. 
And uh, so Mike is more of the thoughtful, I need to have a day to think about this. Well, that day turned into three days. And I was like, all right, dude, Monday's coming. Like, we got to figure this out. And um, he's like, all right, you know, you've put it together because I'm the financial person in the household. So of course, I always go in first with numbers. (laughs) These are the numbers. The numbers make it work. We need to make it work. I'm done reacting to the situation. Let's get on the proactive side of this. Me being able to do this and have these days where I can focus 100% to our household, whether that's to you, Mike, at that day, or to me, or to the kids, wherever it is, I need to not have to owe something to someone on that day for work so that I can do the best I can for everything else. And, uh, and you know, it, we, there was a lot of conversation piecemealed between when we get to have a actually talk time, right? <laughs> that doesn't happen much when you have four kids. Um, so it did. It took an entire weekend to finally come to terms that this is going to be our life for now. Um, and I, I, I don't look back. This, is, this has been a great balance for us to, to make the best of what we have. So, and I, I like how you mentioned the financial piece because I did want to ask about this. And without, you know, getting personal into your finance specific financials, but you, you were, I, I would say, Jane, you were ahead of the curve in that the fact that you were already thinking about this and starting to plan things out from a financial standpoint, like, yeah, did that just come naturally to you? I know you're a numbers, numbers gal, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, which is near and dear to my art, but I, did, did that just come naturally or did you, was there something else provoking you to, to do that or, or just walk us through that? Because <laughs> I find that fascinating yeah. in and of itself. Yeah. So well, Mike and I are very much, um, we want to save what we have when we can. Um, so that when situations come up, especially in automotive, you know, we've lived, lived through multiple recessions oh, yeah. of downturns in automotive. Um, so you really never know. And your job could be cut tomorrow. So we do save a percentage um, so that we would be able to work without an income for a certain amount of months. Um, so that's always been there to protect us. Um, I will say from my personal standpoint, you know, my parents did the absolute best they can and I love them so dearly. Um, but you know, this, this past year, in addition to everything else we got going on, I had to um, work with my brothers. Um, my mom had a, a brain aneurysm burst and she was the sole caregiver of my father with, um, dementia. So we had to work quickly to get him, um, into a nursing home and her, um, health taken care of as well with very little finances. So that's always been a driver for me is to make sure that we protect what we have for, you know, ourselves for now and for our family. Um, so from a number standpoint, I do have a business degree. I have an, uh, a minor in economics. So I'm always thinking that that train of thought as well. Um, but it does. It comes from, you know, having those situations and, and being in there and, and having to work through Medicaid for my parents. And, um, you know, at a one time, you know, we had a family member or a of the family have to do a GoFundMe for my parents so that we could bridge the gap until we could get Medicaid in place for my dad um, while my mom's still fighting for her life from a brain aneurysm. So um, we've, we've definitely had some difficult cards dealt, but when you're able to focus one thing at the, at the time, it, it makes it easier to do. And, and finance, having that safety net that we've always had in our marriage um, because we know you never have a job tomorrow if they decide to turn yours off. So 
we were protected by that. Yeah, I was actually, that was one of the notes that I didn't send to you was that people weren't going to know that with everything that you were dealing with, with your own family, with the, with the one plus triplets and Nathan, you had this additional situation with your father having dementia and then your, your, your mom having the, the brain aneurysm. In their early sixties might, might add that. Early yeah, 60s they're not that they they're no, not that old. They're not old, um, and so yeah, life can, can quickly change. Yep. So let me let me pivot to this. It, what and we we kind of briefly touched on this, and you can go as be as deep or as shallow as you want. What what's the how are you and Mike making it work? <laughs> that's yeah. that's another million dollar question because I know that you guys used to have a date night. You would go. We you, did again this summer. Because <laughs> you, yes. you would, you actually told me that it's like you and Teresa need to really do something like that. And and I've heard other parents of really parents of multiples talk about this. Like it's so important to schedule that one night a week or one night every two weeks or whatever it may be, but some kind of consistent schedule yes. to get out because if not you'll turn into passing ships in the night. <laughs> yeah. And, and resent each other a hundred percent. So I, so. um, date nights are incredible. Even if it's, you know, there's, we did it the summer. We have a, a sitter in the neighborhood that would come over. It's difficult with Nathan. Um, he has to build that trust in, and when he's done with you, he's done with you. So we had to, you know, pause it where we were hoping for a couple more nights in the summer and it didn't happen, but we had six good weeks in the summer where we went golfing, we went to the movies, we went to the dinner. Um, there's been times that we go and sit at our clubhouse pool and just sit in the quiet because at that time where we were at, there wasn't even people swimming. So it's just that time where you're dedicated and it's on the calendar and no buts you're going, even if it's raining, you'll find something to do. And it is huge for a marriage because you're finally putting each other above the other things. Um, and I will say Mike is just, he's incredible. He does laundry. He cooks, he cleans. He doesn't expect that of me all the time where I know a lot of husbands look at their wives who are juggling everything else too. And well, that's your job. Well, it's just as much your job because you eat it, you wear it, you clean it. Um, and he doesn't bark about it. You know, the kids laundry, 95% of the time a week is done by Mike. Because there is a lot more emotional stress in my part of our marriage where I'm dealing with a lot more of the big emotions of Nathan or just the kids in general. Plus, I also schedule everything. I am the master planner, <laughs> the master finance. Um, uh, you know, I keep our social calendar as it is uh, for whatever it is. Um, but he does a lot more of the physical labor around the house because he knows where my emotional drain comes from. So he does. He cooks dinner at least a few times a week. He's 100% on that laundry. He's always sweeping. Him and his dad, we joke, they're chronic sweepers. Uh, so swept house. Um, so he does. He steps up 100% of the time. But I will say it is key to communicate. Don't ever expect that your spouse is knowing what you're thinking. If you do not say it out loud, it's not going to be done. And then you're going to resent them for it. So, um, even if it's not, no, not pretty, make sure you're communicating. Even if it's a note on the counter, I need you to do this, please. You know, don't assume they know what you want because they'll never get it. 
it's only in your head, not theirs. And it's no fault of their own. Um, just make sure you over communicate. Yeah. I think we're, we're all uh, guilty of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're always assuming everyone knows what we're thinking. Why didn't you just do it? Well, it's not important to me right now. It, and that's okay. You know, that's pretty much how we've made things work. And, um, and even some of the big stuff like Christmas to me is my favorite time of the year. I absolutely love Christmas. I love giving to everyone and everything around the people, the spirit of the season. And this Christmas, you know, I was moving my mom from rehab to rehab. My dad is in the nursing home or at that time was still in assisted living. And, um, and at that time he just looked at me, he's like, what can I do? What can I do right now? Because you are drowning. I can see it. It's like, give the kids a Christmas that we can be proud of. And it didn't have to be extravagant, but he did. He went above and beyond. He went shopping. He picked out specific things for each kid, knowing what they wanted. Um, and he delivered. And those are the moments where you know marriage isn't 50-50. At that time, it was 99-1. <laughs> and, and I thank God every day I have him because it's, that's how we make it work. And it's, uh, yeah, it's emotional for sure. Yeah. And, uh, Mike is a, Mike is an incredible guy and I've, uh, I'm, I'm glad both of you are friends of mine, uh, and Teresa's, but, uh, you guys are both very, very special people. Um, before I get to my closing question, I, I, I did want to ask, are there any resources that you want to call out that you think people would find helpful that you ended up using, um, at all through, um, Nathan's, uh, journey? Yeah. So I will say, first of all, get evaluations done and don't go through the quick evaluation. If you're on a wait list, there's a reason why you're on that wait list. It's because it's at a center where you probably need to be um, getting diagnosis, um, either whether it's ADHD or autism spectrum disorder, ASD. Um, there are resources available. There are help groups available in almost every county, um, definitely every state but you have to be willing to talk about what's going on at home. So be prepared to do that. Um, but the first step is always those evaluations. The school district does their own so that you can get resources um, for early on or within preschool or even you know once your kid's in regular school age. Um, but going through and getting that full evaluation from Beaumont um, is huge. Is that typically done like through your pedi pediatrician that, that has to... Refer out. Refer yes. out. Okay. Yes. Yes. For insurance to cover, most times you have to be referred to these types of um, evaluations. And then from there on, you know, you asked about the financial piece for Nathan. Um, autism spectrum disorder, there's a lot more financial support now for um, insurances required to help. It's not so much for ADHD. So maybe eventually we'll get there because a lot of the symptoms that Nathan has, there, people are like, oh, well, he has autism. No, it, he's not diagnosed. I don't get the services. I don't get the financial support. Um, but there are for, for those diagnoses. So make sure that insurance is supporting you. You have to fight. Everything is a battle. Be prepared to wear that, <laughs> that shield. Um, but you keep calling and you make those choices um, to keep fighting because you can get resources everywhere. Um, you just have to keep looking for them. Um, very good. So let me 
because I could keep talking for forever. Like, I told you, I'm like, this is just going to be like us just catching up at the pool or, yes. you know, the bar or outside, you know, during the summer. Uh, now that's kind of coming to a close in Michigan, which is always sad, but at least we have football, I guess. Yep. Um, so my cl- closing question that I, I ask um, the majority of my guests, especially those obviously that are parents, is what is the best thing about being a parent? For me, the best thing about being a parent is seeing them triumph, whether it's learning how to tie their shoe or Nathan finally being able to have that conversation with his sister or me about not being broken, Um, watching them accomplish something. It's just, it brings so much joy. And I'm the first person that they look at to show mom, I did that. I did that. You know, it just makes all of that hard work full circle. Um, and it doesn't have to be the big stuff. It's the little things too. And it's just so rewarding personally, um, as a family cheering each other on, whether, you know, yesterday we're doing cartwheels in the, in the driveway, trying to get, trying to stick that landing. And we finally got halfway there, um, coming together and watching those triumphs is just everything to me. So, well, I think that is a outstanding way to wrap up our conversation. And I'm, I'm sure this won't be the last uh, that you'll be on the podcast, but uh, I, I greatly and deeply appreciate you um, sharing your story and, and the, the, the emotional, the good, the bad aspects of it. Because I think to your point, which I think is why you wanted to, to come on and talk is to share your story that again, this is not something that a lot of people want to talk about because it's uncomfortable. But, you know, I think here, I'm, I'm hoping this inspires other people hearing your story to take, you know, action and to keep fighting for, for their, for their kids and and making the best lives they can. So thank you so much, Jane. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the emotional balance sheet podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.